This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and in the evenings. Hello there. It's Matt After Dark, WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Good to be with you today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Patrick, how are we today? Everything's going all right. Uh, station is still in one piece. Was there a concern about this? I mean, well, it is a re- I mean... Bubble gums and prayers. Every radio station. <laughs> There's I, I, one of the funniest things about when I was in the military, and I, gosh, I was so spoiled. That was good. that was the first time I ever did any on air work at a radio station. Was Armed Forces Radio Network in Nuremberg, Germany, and the oldest studio, the oldest studio we had, was five years old. And you know why? Because there's a there's an appropriation in a military bill for all military radio broadcast stations that they get a basically a brand new studio every year. So we had five studios in that station at AFN Nuremberg. The oldest one was five years old. We had a brand new one every single year. And that's all these guys did was just go around the world and put install radio station control rooms. So I had I that that was that gave me such a perverse and wrong view of how <laughs> that's radio work. I, I walk into my first non-military radio station and they're like chickens in there i'm like what in the world oh who doesn't love a good egg huh they were cheap they were cheap coming in uh the uh yeah no it's 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 great i also i will say this not only did i have the largest audience audience i'll ever have in my entire life on my first radio gig at armed forces radio network nuremberg because we broadcast to the entire northern bavaria sector and into old east germany at the time um which was something like 35 million people you know i'll never that's bigger than new york man Am I thinking this correctly? You're the one who introduced Nirvana to a good I, chunk of I, Germany, I introduced you? Nirvana to Germany. I did. That is my claim to fame. So uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was was going up the charts at the time I was there. And I looked and said, hey, we should probably play this. And they say, no, it's heavy metal. We're not playing that because they were, you know, Stan the Man, Levitan sort of thing. So I, I – yeah, but I said, okay, but we're supposed to play the top 40. Well, it's too heavy. And so then it came top 20. I said, we're supposed to play this song. And they said, well, it's too heavy. And then it was a top 10 song. And they said, okay, you can play it. So I was, and none of the other broadcasters at Armed Forces Radio Network apparently had the guts to play this song. So I let her rip, man. Smells like teen spirit. And I hear that every time I hear that song start up, I hear myself playing it for the first time. And then... We had a phone line. Of course, we had a phone line that connected to the military bases, and the military bases could call us and you know take requests. 
But we also had a phone line that touched, you know, went to the German public, and the, that phone went nuts. Was ist das? Sehr gut. Ja, wunderbar. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, der Nirvana. And, yes, I, you're welcome. I brought grunge to Europe. Well, you know, it was already there. Yeah, but you read about the Black Death. I mean, never mind. It's, it, 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 was, it, was, a, it was a downtime. How it is a downtime. They were looking for a rebound at that point. <laughs> the Vikings didn't help too much. And then that whole Spanish Inquisition thing. But outside of that, and the Romans, you know, it's all good. They're, they're plucky. They come back in World War II. But they come back. Go, team, go. Hey. 952-946-6205. It is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Everyone's like, it's, it's post-Valentine's February. Yes! Exactly. It's, post, it's post-Ash Wednesday. It's Fish Fry Friday time. And, you know, I love me a good fish fry. Now, folks in Chicago, just as you're going to get to know me, I'm a purist. I, I, if you're like, if, you, if it, Chicago's like Minneapolis, St. Paul, which I'm sure it is, is you're already seeing those news stories like, here's a great place to go get fish in town. And it gives you a restaurant and nothing against the restaurant. Chicago's got magnificent restaurants, fantastic food. Love a good restaurant. Minneapolis, St. Paul's got great restaurants. Trust me, they know how to do a good fish filet up here. But no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about a church basement, elderly women lovingly curating a fish dinner for my disposal. Extra bonus points if it's fish tacos. Holy God, is that delicious. Oh, it makes me want to sin. I love, I love a good fish fry Friday. Ah, oh. so I note to everyone out there. Friday, I'm, 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 this is who I am. And if you're in Chicago, let me know. You can you know, comment at am950radio.com, comment at am950radio.com. Send me your suggestions for Fish Fry Fridays, what churches I should go to, which are the ones that pound for pound, you're going to get me the best pound for pound or two of good fish. And give me the variety here. Tell me what I got. Do I, is it fried, baked, grilled, broiled? Is it tacos? Is it tacos? There's a uh, St. Gabe's here in town has they uh, they they cater to a very large uh, Hispanic population and mwah! <laughs> I'll be visiting St. Gabe's this year. I'll be over there at some point. So let me know your favorite churches. I you know I, like I said nothing against restaurants. Love you guys. Go you know go visit you guys early and often. But this is about going into a basement of a church where an elderly woman who's been cooking fish for during lent for the last 60 years is is waiting for me waiting for me in my in my doe-eyed loving dubbing mentality speaking of religion if i can so um and and cliff schecter was kind enough on his blue amp channel to put up the rant i did on Monday, where I, I we talked about the Super Bowl and the ads there and the fact that the, the church is having to advertise to get people to start coming to church again. And the mentality I had towards the end of that, and spoiler alert, go listen, go watch it yourself. It's on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. But the mentality is, have you tried being nice? Because you guys have a tendency of not being really nice. You say, hey, everyone's welcome. And then you get people in there and it's like, let me tell you who Jesus wants you to hate. 
and and you look at me with such intent about you know this is it's it's nice to like everybody but you know what there are real sinners out there and those sinners need to be told they're sinners you know that sort of mentality and you know that's not a winning message i did talk about the ad that aired in the super bowl about the washing of the feet which is something that you know i'll get to that here in a second that was something that jesus had done and there are I, it would not surprise you. Now, and disclaimer as I get into a religious talk here, uh, you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I am a Christian. I used to be Catholic. I am now a Christian. All right? I go to a lovely Lutheran church. There are a lot of people I follow on social media whose one of the things that they do is effectively challenge this warped, broken, extreme far-right, Trump uberalis evangelical mentality that basically runs their Bible through the Republican talking points to determine if Jesus actually would be approved because if, if, if Trump says no, then Jesus clearly can't agree with that because, you know, they're apparently buddies, which, funny story, no, Trump is more of a biblical villain. Trust me, if you've read the Bible, if you've actually read the Bible, you would come across a few guys like, gosh, he reminds me of Trump. Oh, he's a bad guy. Oh, okay. Uh, It's kind of the way things are. There are a lot of people in the evangelical right right now who are furious at that washing of the feet ad because and, and they'll start off with, you know, we just, that's not Jesus. That's not God. God isn't washing everybody's feet. And it mainly has to do with two separate images from that case. A, a third one, too, pops up sometimes. But the one is the woman washing the feet outside of the abortion clinic, uh, the priest washing the feet of what appears to be a gay man. And then there is the other one where two people, and you can't really tell what their denomination is. They could be Christian. They could be something else. Washing the feet of people who appear to be Muslim. And the kind of mentality is is that everybody is welcome. That's the kind of mentality. And these evangelical Christians on the far right are furious, furious about this. Because that's not right. I mean, those are sinners. Those are sinners, and they're they're not welcome. I mean, it's a nice image and all, but they're not welcome. And... I have ha- I've watched a lot of people take these guys down. And what they 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 point out is that there is I've had this mentality and this is a mentality that I have adopted for a while here that especially as a Christian because I am so dang tired of watching my religion which is based on inclusion and welcoming and love and peace and caring for other human beings being turned into this, hate gay people, hate abortions, that's it. And I, I, trust me, I have a hoot of a time when I remind people, hey, and do you know that passage in Numbers where basically they talk about giving people abortions? Because <laughs> that's kind of a contradictory to what you're saying. The whole thing about the mother and fetus and exodus. Never mind, I'll let it be a surprise. Because there is a lot of contradiction there. And Jesus himself, by the way, FYI, was very rewarding and appreciative of women making their own choices, something that happened multiple times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let me go to there really quick. And once again, you do, or this is not about 
trying to change anyone into a Christian. This is about me basically so upset to watch my religion get ruined by political zealotry and heretics that I'm striking back, and I've been doing this, and I was inspired by John Fugel saying, who's fantastic at this, but others have also stepped up, and I don't feel so alone when I come after these people because you should not be doing this. If you are a Christian, the first six letters of that are C-H-R-I-S-T. That's Christ. That means Jesus Christ. That means you believe in Jesus Christ, which means the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus, should matter to you. They should. This is not crazy talk. This is just basic. I'm tired of you know, Timothy and Romans and, and Leviticus and, and, oh my goodness. If you are a Christian, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John should matter to you. And we already talked, I've talked extensively about the fact that the Gospel of Matthew is something that is consistently ignored by most evangelical Christians, especially that part about, if you know, you know, feed the hungry, take care of the sick, you know, shelter the homeless, visit the prisoners, welcome in strangers from strange lands. You know, they just dump that. They don't even want that. The, the people that claim to be the most pious and the most religious of us ignore open, direct teachings from Jesus because it's inconvenient with their political narrative. And that's just a fact. And that is just a fact. So what I'm going to do when I come on back, I want to just take on these people that are taking on this ad who say that's wrong and point out four or three passages from the Gospels in just a second. So stay with us. It's the Matt McNeil Show on a Thursday. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Thursday, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So once again, just to recap really quick, uh, a lot of these evangelical Christians are furious at the foot washing ad that aired in the Super Bowl because they're upset because, no, Jesus didn't like all those other people. Jesus basically wouldn't have liked them. Jesus didn't want those people saved. Jesus didn't like that that kind of mentality. You know, and like I said, you're wondering why people aren't showing up into your pews. Oh, yeah, just you just can't see it, can you? Can you? Can you just, you know, I don't know, look to the left, look to the right, listen to what they're saying. Maybe there's the problem. Anywho, and by the way, no, you're wrong on this. And like I said, it should matter to Christians what Christ himself had said. Disclaimer once again, you do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I'm Christian. This is not about changing anyone or trying to convert. This is just about informational. This is about me striking back at the people that have used my religion that is based on love, peace, caring, compassion, welcoming, inclusion, diversity, equity, and basically turned it into a hate everybody we tell you to hate. I can't stand that. Can't stand that. So, uh, first of all, in the the realm of judging thing, uh, you're going to love this. This is going to be a hoot. Uh, Matthew 7, 1, 5. Don't, do not judge or you too sh- will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Why do you look in the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So basically, and that's it, you know, I know, Jesus, wow. 
Uh, he's basically saying, all you people judging all the people that were in that Super Bowl ad, yeah, you shouldn't be judging them. Because I guarantee you, you got a closet full of, you got to go deal with yourself, okay? So you probably shouldn't be judging all these people. And I know that's pretty much all your religion, your version of religion has come down to is judging. And I get that, but you probably shouldn't be doing that. You probably shouldn't be. Now, going specifically to the washing of the feet thing, because the argument they make is Jesus only washed the disciples' feet. That was all it was about. And he didn't wash Judas's. But, but we'll go to skip past that. Um, we'll just go this. Let me go John 13, 12, 17. When you'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now, what I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So basically, he's telling them, go wash other people's feet. It's not something that was only for the disciples. Hey, you're supposed to do it for everybody. That's kind of, that's direct. John 13, 12, 17. Oh, I know. Roman says, stop, that's Paul. This is, this is Jesus himself. You know, the first six letters of Christianity? Yeah, that guy. So your argument that those people shouldn't have had their feet washed goes directly against the argument that Jesus said, no, you should go wash people's feet. Um the idea that you should be judging other people. That goes against Jesus telling you, don't be judging other people. Now, as far as welcoming goes in, I could go back to Gospel of Matthew, which, by the way, proud note, I love being named Matthew, which is my full name, not Matt, but Matthew. And because that gospel, that is a good gospel. It's about a lot of things, sets a lot of things straight. But I'll just jump over to Luke. How about that? Luke 9, 11 to 17. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside, find food and lodging because we are a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Fish fry Friday. Unless we go... (laughs) The first one. Uh, Unless we go and buy food, all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He gave them thanks, broke them, and then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They, uh, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketball, uh, basketfuls, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So basically, no, everyone's welcome. Come on over. And, oh, by the way, let's feed them all. And Fish Fry Friday. Okay, so you get it. This hate, this, this decision to hate, this has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with the people that are screaming about, no, they're not welcome. We're supposed to hate those people. They're all sinners. No, that's you applying your warped hatred, bigotry, racism, and frankly, disgusting personal beliefs to others and trying to wrap it in a veil of piety. Stop it. No. I just gave you three right there. Bing, bada, bing, bada, bing. Three right there. Direct teachings from Jesus saying, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. 
And you'll run back to the Old Testament because, yeah, heaven forbid you actually, as a devout Christian, follow the words of Christ. Stop judging people. Wash their feet. Everyone's welcome. And fish. (laughs) Like I said, like I said, one of my favorite times of the year. I will not stop talking about this, even though I do know that this is something that a lot of people are like, Matt, I don't, I don't turn into your show because I want to hear religious talk. But part of the problem is since the 1970s, especially since Nixon resigned, and the Republicans realized their image was so tarnished and broken they needed to reinvent themselves. And they ran out and they found and embraced the anti-abortion crowd. And they basically – I remember in the 80s even then it was, well, if you're a Democrat, you hate babies. You want to kill them all. And that was kind of their mentality. And they started using Christianity as a weapon. And because the Democrats never fought back, because the Democrats never started saying, no, that's not right, they just basically ran it off and you know excused it as religious extremism. They got to a point where really into the 90s and into the 2000s, it became one of those things where you can't possibly be a Christian and a Democrat. And it made me mad. And the, the Republican Party went out to the leaders of these religious faiths in this country and basically said, hey, if you tell them to vote Republican, we'll give you a seat at the table. And seduced by power and political gain, they all started telling us which parts of the Bible to ignore. They started telling us what things we needed to, to, to just skip past. Well, that's not that important as long as you just hate gay people. Or that's not that important as long as you basically are against abortion. No, no, it's not how it goes. And the thing which is funny is you are the guys right now who keep telling me that the, this Bible is an absolute and you have to pay attention to it, but yet yourselves ignore it. Now, for all you evangelical Christians who claim to be you know, devout biblical scholars, can we, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice. Two pieces of advice, okay? Two. One, read the Bible. You clearly are not. Second of all, have you tried being nice? Have you? I don't think you have. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPT 8 Chicago. Uh, progressive talk, talk on WCPT 820. And then, of course, in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And the Mothership AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show. So we are going to the majesty and splendor of North Dakota. Uh, what? 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 Wait, what? Frackingville? Oh, great. <laughs> I hope you don't like trees. Uh, it's North Dakota where, yeah, uh, stuff is there. They got Fargo and um, some very nice parks out in the very western part of the state. And... A lot, not that much in the middle. But they are still a state. Last time I checked. Let me just, yes, they are. They are still a state, North Dakota. North Dakota, of course, as you may know, is a pretty strong Republican vote. All, what, one electoral college votes or whatever it is, or two or three it is. It's not a lot. 
But they do actually have a Senate race going on out there. And I want to introduce you to and this. We're going to play this about two minutes and 40 seconds here. It's this is spectacular. This is Katrina Christensen. She is the Democrat running for Congress or for Senate for Senate in North Dakota. Now, if you want a master's class on how you go into a plus 20, plus 30 Republican district, and you land the first right cross strongly across the jaw, it's this two minutes and 40 seconds. Patrick, when you're ready, go ahead and play this. When I was a little girl, a wolf hunted our family farm. It wasn't content to pick off a chicken or the family dog. It wanted the whole farm. My father found work, but the wolves found him. My parents always thought they'd catch a break, but they never did. The wolves came for mom and pop stores. They came for cheap prescription medicine. They came for affordable homes. They came for college loans. Forget inflation. Wages never kept up with corporate greed. So I went to school in scholarship. I became an agricultural engineer, fell in love, found a great job, started a family, had three kids, and invented two patents for Cargill and made them a killing. When the wolves came to reorganize the company, they found me too. Their first solution every time, cut jobs. Because to them, we're the problem. It's not their risky behaviors. It's not their bad investments. It's our livelihoods, our healthcare, our mortgages, our working class dreams. I'm Katrina Christensen. I'm running for U.S. Senate because Congress hasn't passed meaningful antitrust, pro-family legislation in almost 100 years. They abandoned family farms. They abandoned American manufacturing. They turned healthcare into a trillion-dollar industry. And they let Amazon and Walmart hunt family businesses to extinction. Wolves. And Congress hasn't cold the pack since Teddy Roosevelt was president. I'm an engineer, and I can tell you, problems like we're facing don't fix themselves. We gotta be tougher and smarter and more stubborn than the forces that are bankrupting the American middle class. My kids have no concept of the poverty I grew up with, the insecurity and shame. And as long as they're under my roof, they won't. And our senator should feel that way about us, should be protective of each of our children, our rights, our health, our land and water, our safety, our national security. Our senators shouldn't be afraid to face the wolves. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that, that's a that's that's a right cross. Holy cow. Um I have tried to shake awake the lemming right of Republican areas, like the Dakotas. When they sit there and they say, my life isn't good, darn you Democrats, the first thing I say is, what Democrats? Seriously, what Democrats? 
What Democrats? You have been controlled by Republicans for decades. And yet you keep coming up with these mythical Democrats that somehow are undermining you. When the Republicans you keep voting for have killed the family farm, have killed the small town businesses, have killed local health care, have killed basically the quality of education you get out there. And they do it over and over again, pandering to a handful of wealthy corporate ag leaders within your community at your expense over and over and over again. And they're not even doing it in private. They're doing it in front of your face. But because you're too brainwashed to understand what's happening to you, you basically just say, darn Democrats. You're looking at the guy coming out with you with a knife and say, well, I better not give that to a Democrat as they stab you in the heart. The Republicans are the reason why red areas have harder times than blue areas. Plain and simple. The state of Minnesota, the metro area, funds a vast majority of the outstate districts. And that's fine. We're all in this together. Chicago's the same way. The wealth of that city helps basically offset the costs for the counties that can't cover their own bills. And that's fine. But stop with this. Stop with your ignorance to what the real problem is. And bless her, Katrina Christensen out in North Dakota. I'll put this ad out there. I'm making a donation to her. I hope you do too, because holy God, that's a great ad. And you cannot start solving this problem if all you keep doing is blindly voting for the people who are Basically stabbing you in the heart. 952-946-6205. Quickly, an update in Kansas City. The mass shooting that unfolded among throngs of people in the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl celebration, killing one and wounding almost two dozen others, appears to stem from a dispute between several people, authorities said on Thursday. Police Chief Stacy Graves said that 22 people were injured. The shooting ranged between the ages of 8 and 47 years old. Half of them were under the age of 16. Uh, The one person killed, who was the radio broadcaster down in Kansas City, she was a mother of two. She was killed. Three people have been detained, including two juveniles. No charges have been filed yet, Graves said. Police are calling for witnesses, people with cell phone footage and uh, and victims of the violence to call for a dedicated hotline. We are working to determine the involvement of others. And it should be noted we have recovered several firearms. This incident is still very much an active investigation. The shooting outside the Union Station occurred despite the presence of more than 800 police officers who were in the building and in the surrounding area, including on top of nearby structures. Mayor Quinton Lucas, who pretended, attended it with his wife and mother and, uh, and mother and ran for safety when the shots rang out, but he doesn't expect to cancel the upcoming St. Patrick's Day parade. We have parades all the time. I don't think they'll end. Certainly, we recognize the public safety challenges and issues that relate to them. Throngs had lined the parade route with fans climbing trees and street poles for a better view. Players rolled through on double-decker buses as DJs and drummers heralded their arrival. Kansas City has long struggled with gun violence. In 2020, it was among nine cities targeted by the U.S. Department of Justice to crack down on violent crime. 2023, the city matched a record 182 homicides, most of which involved guns. Lucas is joined with mayors across the country calling for new laws to reduce gun violence, including mandating universal background checks. 
We did everything to make sure this event safe as possible. Um, Dr. D- uh, Dr. Dustin Neal, uh, University uh, Health Truman Medical Center, said three people with gunshot wounds were still being treated there Thursday, including two in critical condition. One is a man who survived only because staff got him to the operating room within five minutes of arrival. Stephanie Meyer, a chief nursing officer for Children's Mercy, Kansas City, said it was treating 12 patients, including 11 children between the ages of 6 and 15, nine of whom suffered gunshot wounds. All are expected to recover. Good news. And when asked about the condition of the children, Meyer responded, fear. The one word I would describe as we saw when they they came to us, they were afraid. Uh, St. Luke's uh, Hospital spokesperson Emily Hohenberg said one gunshot victim remains critical condition there. So... There you are. And that is, once again, that's just what it's going to be. And I have been one of these people who have said, I I think we need to start, because I'm not going to deny it, a lot of these are illegal guns. But the illegal guns are coming from somewhere. It's not like a Marvel movie where a truck is hijacked on the road there and then the guns are there. No, people are buying them. And we need to be honest about this. Generally, it's white people in rural communities, are walking in, buying a bunch of guns, driving them into a metro area, and selling them out of the back of the car. And then if they even have to explain where the guns have gone, which some states don't even require you to do that, they just say, hey, someone broke into my house and stole my guns. And that's it. And they pocket a ton of cash. That gun that cost $300 in their local store, that's $2,000 on the street. And if you basically, I, you want to dry up the illegal gun sales, the illegal, I'm not talking illegal gun sales, I'm just talking the illegal ones. You want to dry up the illegal gun sales in this country, I would highly, highly recommend installing a much harsher penalty for those who basically uh, you know, sell them. I, I would say maybe a 10-year ma- mandatory sentence and forfeiture of of everything they've got. I, I'm dead serious, too. Ma- a minimum of, if you're caught selling a gun illegally, that, you know, 10 years in jail no, with no parole, and you forfeit everything you got. And if you put in some stringence like that, guess what? People in Indiana wouldn't be buying guns and driving them into Chicago. That w- That would dry up real freaking quick. It is a much more complicated issue, but I can tell you what. At least I'm willing to try some things. We should ban assault weapons. They shouldn't be anywhere. They're military grade. They're designed to kill human beings. What the hell are you giving them to the public, especially a public that can get drunk and start getting mad at each other and start firing rounds off at each other? You should have mandatory background checks. I think you should. I think gun owners should carry gun owners insurance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you basically have to, you know, once these guns, if, if these guns are coming into these communities illegally, find the people that are buying them and selling them and arrest them and put them away. And if you did that to one or two of them, guess what? I guarantee you gun sales would dry up. The illegal gun sales would dry up. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Um, quickly, because I'm going to spend the last segment talking about the case in 
Georgia right now because, once again, the Trump prosecutors are trying to get Fannie Willis off that case. And I'll talk about that more here. But I did want to mention, he's got another court date here. He's going to face his first criminal trial on March 25th over the 2016 hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. Trump will increasingly be forced to navigate his packed courtroom calendar. Trump, And basically, if you didn't pay attention to the, the, this court appearance today, his argument was, well, I'm too busy. The judge said, wait a second here. Your federal cases have all now been pushed back because of appeals. Your calendar is wide open and March 25th. His lawyer became belligerent and accused him of having an agenda. He's like, no, we're just going to have a court case. And it finally got to a point where the judge had to tell him, sit down, just sit down. The judge, Juan Merchant, is presiding over the case, kicked off Thursday's hearing by denying Trump's motion to dismiss the charges, multiple outlets reported. Jury selection for the trial will go forward on March 25th. Uh, Before entering the courtroom on Thursday, Trump told reporters that he's supposed to be campaigning in South Carolina that day and was seeking delays in the hearing. How can you run for election and be sitting in a courthouse in Manhattan all day long? I don't know. Why do you break the law? Trump's lawyers, Todd Blanche, uh, attempt to push back against the March 25th start date uh, during the hearing, arguing it would be tantamount to election interference. We are in the middle of primary season. Merchant says he expects the trial to be last approximately six weeks, the Times reported. So Trump as well at this, this point, he said, it doesn't matter if I'm guilty, I should be allowed to walk free. I, I'm paraphrasing, but about that. Uh, let's take a break. Come on back. I'll get to the, what's going on in Georgia when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show on, once again, your Thursday. Nice to have you with us today. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So, uh, really quickly, the case in Georgia is by far Trump's biggest hurdle. Um, it is a RICO case. It is definitely got um, a, you know, a, a bite to it. And it's something that they can't get around. Even if he pardons himself and becoming president, that's a state charge. He can't pardon himself on that. And they got him dead to rights. He's out there basically, I need you to find me the votes. You know, that's Trump. We have him dead to rights. So the tactic they have gone after is they've gone after Fannie Willis. And they basically have accused her of having an inappropriate relationship with the um, with, with, with one of the, the, the lead attorney on the case. And the as well... The is, you know, they're basically saying that she benefited financially from this relationship and henceforth should be disqualified. And right now it is it is basically Fannie Willis is a pinata right now. She's getting whacked around. I mean, there there is a salacious nature to what the Trump and, you know, defendants argue lawyers are arguing, Um, you know, when she took the stand now, her her. The, the 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 other prosecutor, um, you know, took this. You know, he was out there, and he basically he held up uh, Nathan Wade. He basically held his own. Basically, said, "No, this is we had a relationship. This is when it happened, like that." And they tried to kind of c- catch him up, but he basically said, "No, it, it, this is just what it was." She wanted. To, uh, she's taking this very personally, which I can understand what she's doing. 
She basically, out of the gate, she finds it extremely offensive that a lawyer for one of the president's co-Trump co-defendants would insinuate in previous filings that she slept with Nathan Wade when they met in November, October of uh, 2019. They don't have any evidence to this. None of this stuff is – they have evidence to a lot of these allegations. They're just basically saying them to try to get her disqualified. Um, the she went Basically, she went, and I'm reading from the New York Times update here. Uh, she says she keeps a lot of cash at home. She says because of her father, a blank panther, activist and lawyer, taught her it was good to have money on hand at all times. Uh, that's one of the things that they've ta- they've targeted is they said, well, where is the reimbursement if she paid you back for these things? And he's saying, well, she paid me cash. And they're like, does anybody use cash anymore? Nobody uses cash. Well, she said, yeah. And this kind of is, once again, they don't have any evidence that she did any fraud. They're just basically trying to make it seem like she did something. Um. She was is asked a question about travel and the location of her two children. She said she pointedly that she will not discuss the location of a child, a reminder of the security scrutiny that the Trump case has placed on her and her family. So basically they're trying, where are your kids at? Huh? It'd be a shame something bad happened to them. I'm paraphrasing. I'm doing what I'm doing what Trump lawyers do. I'm adding on something there. Uh, she's discussing how she objects to record, uh, records requests made by the defense. I'm not on trial no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. It is the defendants, she said, who are on trial for trying to steal an election. She says her romantic relationship with Nathan Wade ended in August of 2023 after they had a tough conversation. She considers him a friend and mentor. Apparently, they, they, he was dealing with cancer. So this allegation that they had a relationship early doesn't pan out because he's saying, I was dealing with cancer. I wasn't having relationships at that point. Um. Uh, basically, the judge is having to remind both sides of decorum um, uh, on this because they're basically she's saying they're lying on they're they're asking her lies and those are that's not that's I'm not going to answer lies. In her questioning, Ashley Merchant is suggesting that uh, Fannie Willis found herself struggling financially after losing the judge's race when she's lent herself fifty thousand dollars. Merchant's argument is for disqualifying Willis in the Trump case is that her engaged in self dealing is hiring her boyfriend then letting him take the fancy vacations with the money he was earning from the office. They don't have any evidence of that. That's just like I said. They have no evidence of this. This is just a. This is wild speculation. The defense, the lawyer representing Trump, uh, has started asking questions. Um, as well, uh, she's her take on the accusations is in a nutshell that her privacy has been invaded as part of a legal stunt. It's like woman doesn't have the right to keep her private life private. Well, I got news for you. You're, you, know, you get into politics in any kind of form, you're going to lose a little bit of that, and that's just that's just the deal. When you decided to bring tri- charges against Trump, which I'm not saying you shouldn't have, you should have expected this. The, the, the gates were going to open up. There wasn't going to be if, – if you, if you returned a library book a week late when you were 12, that was going to come on out. That was just the, de- the deal. Uh, Steve Sato, I uh, was asking the questions. The district attorney and the stand are uh, respected among Atlanta area lawyers for their intelligence and the sharp courtroom skills. They also share a reputation of throwing sharp elbows. Fannie Willis says her physical relationship with Nathan Wade ended before former President Trump and his allies were indicted. She had to repeat that once again on that. Um, in response to more questions about their spending, Fannie Willis, the district attorney, said that when they were out dating, Nathan Wade told me one time that the only thing a woman can do for him is make him a sandwich. He would have a brutal argument about that fact. And when I said, I am your equal, she added, there is a tension always in our relationship, which is why I wouldn't give him his money back. I don't need anyone to foot my bills. Um, so you know, th- that's you kind of get the idea here. So once again, I want to make sure we're very clear. 
there was a physical relationship. When the Trump team found out about it, it then became this vehicle to they they slept together right away she's basically bankrupt she hired him so she could funnel money so they could go on trips doing all these things they have no evidence of this but i'm going to say this right now i think there's a decent chance they're going to pull her off the case not because they got her but because Trump is so desperate to get this out of the Fulton County DA's hands and into a county attorney who is, I basically have determined we're going to let these injuries heal and we're going to let all these people go and even undo the guilty pleas that people have filed in this case. Because this is this case, of all the cases, this is the most dangerous one for Trump. And like I said, Fannie Willis... I don't agree. I, I, I think this is horrible. They're going after you like this. I think it's wrong. The lies that they're telling, it's, you know, I, I, I hope you stay on the case and I hope you remind these lawyers of what you've accused her of when it comes time for negotiations and, and plea deals. But the reality is, is this, this case specifically terrifies Trump because he can't get rid of it. In the same sense of the E. Jean Carroll, he can't get rid of that one. But he's going to try his best, if he gets elected again, to basically just say, oh, this never happened. So I'm sure we're going to get an interesting ruling, but I would be blunt. I, you know, I wouldn't, considering the people that want her gone, I wouldn't be surprised if they did try to get rid of her with this. Chicago, have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. Minneapolis, St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Thursday. Matt and Patrick here. Oh, just an update for you. It is Listener Appreciation Month here on AM 950. Today, in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets. We, you heard Patrick talking about this. Randy Rainbow for President Tour. It's Friday, February 23rd at the State Theater. We'll have a pair of tickets to give away this hour. So listen for your chance to call in for your chance to win on that Coming up here a little bit later on, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So Brianna Bierschbach, who I adore, she's a fantastic journalist. She wrote a great story in the Star Tribune, and it had to do with the fact that we are now a sanctuary state when it comes to protecting those who are seeking gender-affirming care. Uh, in the article, she is ch- chatting with uh, Aaron Zimmerman, who is the executive director for the P-Fund Foundation. And he is kind enough today to join us because this article brings up some very interesting statistics that include the fact that Minnesota is indeed coming to appoint a refugee state. Uh, Aaron, once again, thank you very much. I appreciate the time today. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me here tonight as well. Uh, my pleasure. Now, so first of all, let's talk about your organization. What exactly does the P-Fund Foundation do? Yeah, great question. So P-Fund Foundation is a community foundation um, that supports the LGBTQ community across uh, the five-state upper Midwest, so the North and South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. And our job is to, to mobilize resources into our communities in order to advance equity for all. The, and, and how long have you been, been working on this? Yeah, I mean, this work has been, um, you know, many years in the making, but honestly, uh, we're just so thankful that our our legislators took this bold action to 
designate Minnesota as a trans refuge state. And that has allowed us at PFUND and a number, a number of other organizations to really, you know, move to action here. Well, and it, it, it is interesting from what you described, the states you're working in, you have to have a very different approach in depending on where you're working in at that point, correct? Correct. And, you know, our, our mission is not to make it so folks in North and South Dakota or Iowa right now are forced to move to a state that's affirming, but rather give them the option to, to have safe and affirming communities where they live and where their families are, where their, where their community is, or if they, if they so choose, come to Minnesota. But unfortunately, legislators in those states, as well as many other states across the country, have, have, made that, have taken away that choice and really have kind of forced the hand for a lot of trans uh, individuals and families with trans youth. They have to make the choice to move here. The, the bellwether for horrible is Texas. I mean, that's kind of the one that's been driving a lot of people away. Are, are any of these states as bad as Texas is right now, where it's, you know, the Paxton is out there demanding hospital records from out of state so they can prosecute people? Is there anything that bad in the Dakotas or Iowa? You know, every state's going to be a little bit unique. Um, and each of the states are kind of, you know, I feel like um, maybe anti-trans legislators are testing out different messaging, different laws and, and different strategies across each state. I know North and South Dakota are often because they are they lean pretty heavily red are often a testing ground for some really insidious bills. Um, mm. And also in states like North and South Dakota, there just isn't a huge infrastructure for uh, LGBTQ populations to access things like housing, health care, and, and, and the like. So um, it's definitely pretty bad. And so one of the things is the question is, once we became this refuge state, were we actually seeing refugees? And you've done some studying here and you've done some questionnaires. And indeed, it sounds like Minnesota is picking up population for lack of – I think it's the correct term. It's refugees. We are picking up refugees from other states who are coming here because Minnesota is a safe place for them. Yeah, yeah. We, we had that exact same question you had at the, at the end of the legislative session, knowing that all these other states – um, we're ex- experiencing kind of the opposite from us, which was we were like, let's welcome folks here. We said, well, we need to know how many people that is. Is it going to be a dozen? Is it going to be, you know, hundreds? And we got to we got to together with a number of other organizations and formed the Minnesota Trans and Intersex Resource Network. And we helped uh, support with the funding uh, Twin Cities Pride to to really start to capture this. And and it's working. Becoming mm-hmm. boldly stating that we are a trans refuge state has given folks the confidence to to move, pack up their lives and move to Minnesota. And so we um, have seen just record numbers of, of folks moving here in it. And we know too, that that's only a small segment. These are, these are people who are actually filling out the survey, people who are um, knowing about this resource. Uh, and so we know that the numbers are much greater. Well, and it's, 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 it's kind of to a point, people that are a specific point in their personal journey versus I have to imagine as well, just people who, with what's going on in the privacy of people's own homes and they know, you know, that there's this, this is something that might need to happen with them and realizing that Idaho or, or, you know, uh, you know, Wyoming or Texas is not the place for them to be. It's kind of, it's going to be kind of hard to get a gauge here, but what are some of the numbers you're seeing as far as how many people from your experience that you can authoritatively say have no definitively come to Minnesota as a refugee state? Yeah, yeah. So in the first six months of collecting that data, we've um, we've captured on uh, through this survey, uh, 150 individuals and families, and some of those families have multiple children, and one of those kids might be um, trans or gender expansive, mm-hmm. and so the numbers are much higher. And um, but definitively, we can say um, you know 150 folks have 
have a um, filled out the survey, said, I'm, I've already moved here recently. I'm moving here in the next three months. I'm moving here in the next six months. And we, I should have also mentioned in the article that Brianna Bierschbach put out there, which I highly recommend I'll post later on, uh, Tennessee, Florida, other states that have also put in some pretty atrocious laws on this. It, you know, I have to imagine some of the stories you're hearing are with a lot of uh, uh, you know, exasperation. You know, just, you know, we were hoping this wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. We were kind of pleading that wasn't. But when it became clear that we were targets in our own community, in our own homes, that they had to leave. I imagine that's something, a recurring theme you're coming across a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and honestly, it's emboldened employers and schools mm-hmm. and other things. These laws, even though they're, they're happening in, in the halls of legislators and um, at city councils and, and school boards, it's, it's emboldening other folks to, to really take advantage of this. And, you know, we've heard um, stories of people being fired, terminated for their trans identity because they, they know that there isn't going to be a huge repercussion against them because they're, you know, their state legislator is, is vastly supportive of that anti-trans kind of agenda. And so it's, it's becoming really untenable for these folks. And so some of them are moving preemptively knowing that this legislative session that we're entering into is, is probably going to be worse. And we're already seeing in states like Ohio, like things are, are getting worse, um, not improving. The story that Brianna put out goes also down and talks about uh, something which I guess shouldn't be a surprise, but it is also a little bit concerning. And I imagine it's something that your organization is working out with as well, is that, sure, it's we're a refugee state, but we still pretty much only have the same amount of uh, gender affirming health care infrastructure in place that we had before. So now it's just we have this incredible demand and even references back to it's quite a few weeks delay now between, you know, someone signing up for an appointment and being able to get seen. Correct. Correct. And, you know, we in the survey, we asked um, what the number one concern for these families moving here is. Is it employment? Is it housing? And 90 percent of them, nearly 90, I think it's 89 percent said healthcare is our number one concern because that's what's really being targeted um, in these states is, is prohibitions against accessing life-affirming and life-saving medical care for especially trans youth. And yeah, we're already, our, 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 our systems are already burdened by the, the sheer number of people who need those services here in the first place. And so as we're thinking about the kind of solutions to really make Minnesota a welcoming state that not only are we saying we're welcoming, we actually are showing up and, um, for these folks moving here, but also for the folks that already live here, what is that holistic solution? And um, it's been really great to to work with care providers like Family Tree Clinic, who was referenced in the you know connected with in the in the article, but other organizations like Children's Minnesota, you know, Park Nicolet's Gender Affirming Care Program, you know, these other organizations about like what how are we gonna how are we gonna meet this need? You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 a momentous and um, historic kind of unprecedented experience that that these providers are are feeling. And it, and it's something that we're also seeing with the the uh, Planned Parenthood, with Minnesota being uh, an abortion rights state, that they're getting overwhelmed as well in some of these locations. So uh, it is an interesting problem that we are having. It's 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 a great idea here, but now we got to follow through on some of this stuff. Aaron Zimmerman joining us right now, the P Fund Foundation. He's the executive director over there. So if you could have your perfect world, and you could go over to the 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 St. Paul right now and say, "Hey guys, we need this." What would you say? is the biggest priority is an expansion and and give us an idea of what, what that would look like. No, that's a great question. You know, we've thought about this a lot. We've tapped into community, you know, we've been working alongside both community members, care providers, and our legislators to, to kind of come up with a stopgap measure. And that is simply increasing the FTE 
of doctors, providers who are providing this care to our communities. And we've come up with some really fun, you know, and exciting solutions that I think, um, you know, are still in the works. We're, we're talking uh, with legislators now about, you know, how do we train up more doctors, more providers, more PAs um, across the state, really? Because when folks are moving from, say, rural Florida, they're not necessarily going to want to live in, in Minneapolis. They're going to want to mm-hmm. live somewhere that's similar to the community that they've chosen to, like, be a part of in Florida. And so we know we need to bring care across the state. We really need to be considering what uh, the care provision looks like in places like St. Cloud, which, um, you know, was referenced in the article as well. But Moorhead, Duluth, and especially these border communities where, you know, you have to cross state lines in order to receive a very uh, medically approved and like very like well, um, you know, articulated type of care. And that brings up another interesting point. I mean, it, let's say Fargo. Let's say, you know, you got, you got Fargo, you got people there. You could have families that move to Fargo, stay in North Dakota, but are coming across the border into Moorhead to get medical care there. Is that yeah. something we're seeing a lot of right now? Is I mean, so it's not necessarily people refugees into Minnesota, but a, a, a larger population of the gender affirming population uh, in in these border towns. Yeah, yeah, we totally are. And, you know, uh, organizations like Gender Justice are working on a lot of this, too. Doctors have to cross, you know, the the onus, the like political and like criminal onus is on the providers um, in a state like North Dakota. And so doctors who were already providing this type of care um, have to cross the border and set up shop in Moorhead. So mm. we're really seeing and, 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 you know, to Minnesota's benefit, we're seeing this just like boom of of really progressive, really um, thoughtful and inclusive families moving across the border into Minnesota and making Moorhead the desirable place to live because they know that that their doctor won't go to jail for, um, you know, providing care. Well, and I mean, let's face it, Minnesota kicks caboose. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a nice state. They got good wages. We got a heck of an art scene and really good music. And, you know, I, it, you know, I think one of the things which is interesting, you brought this up and this kind of goes into the larger health care issue. Uh, that, you know, yeah, I'd love it if people could come from like rural Tennessee and move into rural Minnesota. But now we're dealing with the problems with these these hospitals in rural Minnesota cutting back on all care, you know, going down and getting rid of obstetric care and on these things. And so, you know, it, it, this is a multi-layered, thick problem that, you know, infringes on a lot of other problems, too. But it, it requires, I mean, it'd be really cool if this issue in Minnesota got us to fix kind of the problems we're having in rural health care because, well, we need to make sure we, ha- we have this demand. It's a, you know, and I understand the hospital industry, they're, they're a little money makers, but if they knew that they could make some money because we have all these refugees here and they could offer services, I think that'd be a win-win across the board. Yeah, yeah. Our, you know, our hope is that, you know, as folks move here, they can access, you know, Trans people, gender expansive people, those families, they need all types of care. They need, you know, like they need OBGYNs. They need mental health care. They need all kinds of care. We really have to tackle that problem. And and I think for us at P-Fund Foundation, it really is about, you know, how are we, you know, bringing this kind of really marginalized group that's experiencing really traumatic having to pick up your whole life in order to, to protect your family. Uh, you know, we really want to make sure that those people are, are cared for. And, and, and so, you know, as we approach uh, and work with our legislators, it is really thinking about that wraparound. Like what, how do we fully, you know, how are we making sure that these folks get jobs, how do they get housing? Because those are taxpayers. Those are people who are going to come yeah. here and contribute to our amazing state and the amazing um, communities that we have. So, 
I, th I feel like it's a real win for us to have folks uh, wanting to move here and really contribute to this amazing state that we have. Have you done any research on what your what, what could be an estimate of uh, in the long run, how many people, the, how many families Minnesota might pick up uh, nationwide moving here because of our progressive policies? You know, uh, it's hard to say, you know, I'm not, you know, not a statistician by any, by any stretch of it, but, you know, I feel like it's a factor of what we, what we've identified. It has to be, you know, I've talked to real estate agents. I've talked to folks in the schools. They're seeing considerable movement. Like it is, it's recognizable across a lot of industries. And so, you know, in the long term, especially if things continue, if, you know, depending on how, you know, the, the presidential election happens, how these legislators continue to to use trans folks as a as a, a wedge issue in order to like you know further some other political agenda, it's gonna be big. It, it, you know, and and for a, a community that is the size and uh, that it is within the full population, 150 individuals and families is a lot of people, um, even considering. So whatever it is, it's gonna have a ripple effects in the in the state. Well, and you bring that up. I mean, I, I know people in the school districts that said this last school year started and all of a sudden they had a lot of people that were not in Minnesota the year before that were here now. So it, it's yeah. I think it's coming across in multiple different issues. And obviously this one makes, you know, tremendous amount of sense because, you know, are you going to go someplace where they're going to threaten you, try to arrest you, try to run you out of town? Or are you going to come someplace where, hey, you're welcome. Come on in. We'll do the best we can. But it clearly need to get an expansion of the, 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 the health care options, the mental health care options. And then just anything with expanded population, we have to look at housing. We have to look at all that stuff as well, too. Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we're trying to bite off what we can chew at this point, which right now is that is that health care, because it is a big it's a big issue. And yeah. we've been working. PFUN's been around since 1987. We've been working on this this for a long time. The organization out front Minnesota and gender justice and all of these organizations transforming families are doing really transformative work. But we've got to get resources injected into the ecosystem so we can can address these problems. Which brings up my final point to you. Obviously, your organization has a lot of need right now. You're not not only are you having to work in lobbying politicians, but you have people on the ground that need help as they're coming here. So let's get people in touch with P Fund Foundation. How do they find you? Yeah, no, that's it. Thank you for for giving that platform because the work is you know we've got a lot to do. So. We're launching our Transcend campaign, which is a targeted, you know, fundraising campaign that's geared solely towards our trans communities here in Minnesota and across the region, because we know that we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, and that you can find out more information about that campaign and how to support it. And then how to get connected into this work at our website, mm -hmm. pfundfoundation.org. pfundfoundation.org. That's P-F-U-N-D foundation.org. I'll link to all this later on today. So just right. go to the social media pages, find it there, and make a donation. Because once again, people are looking to Minnesota as a safe place. One of the things that needs to happen is we need to have the arms wide open and help in any way we can. Getting funds to P-Fund uh, uh, Foundation is a really good way to do that. And obviously, it's it's something there's a great need for it right now. Aaron Zimmerman, the executive director over at P-Fund Foundation, Aaron, congratulations on the article. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. And by all means, let's have you come back before too long, okay? Of course, Matt. Of course, Matt. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. An absolute pleasure to chat with you as well. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Let's take a break. Come on back. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM 
950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. A special guest appearance by Greg Bakken from Ghost Box Radio. Hi, Greg. How are we? So, uh, you know, I, I'm actually Patrick and I regenerated. <laughs> a Doctor Who reference. If you're not caught up, you need to be. Uh yeah, well, that, that that and that's good. What you know, it, it, Dalek, Cyberman, you never know what's going to happen. There, fall down the stairs, uh, or shot in San Francisco. How about that one? <laughs> there, there you go. go. There yeah. you go. Absolutely. Uh, uh, good to have you here. How shocking is it to go outside right now and see that snow? It's almost it's almost acting like it's February. It's it, I'm not yeah. a fan of that. <laughs> well, it's, I'm okay with it because I'm like I was okay. So last night we went out and show. Yeah. And because I could tell it was kind of it was stacking up more. I mean, we were supposed to get three inches. I think we ended up like six in Hopkins. And I could tell it was stacking up. So I said, let's go shovel now and then it won't be that bad in the morning. And like you're supposed to do in Minnesota in winter. And I was like, looking around, I was like, it's so pretty. Why? I don't like the Oklahoma City winter. It's dirty and everything's dead. I don't like that. I like that's March. I don't. I don't think we need to expand March out longer in the winter process. And the only difference is March is wet. Uh, but no, it lovely today. And the best part is that lopet race they're doing over at Worth Parkway. Yeah, the Worth Park. This is the international cross country ski race. Yeah, where they were pulling in every snowmaking machine they could find for a hundred miles around us, just almost like. You know, like God's up there saying, I like Jesse Diggins. <laughs> Down he goes. It's it's like a Hallmark movie, like the February miracle. You know, it's like we got the snow after all, you know. It's, it is spectacular. It's not going to be here long. As, as a fact, they're saying next, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, we're probably going to be up in the courts close to 50. That's just it's, nuts. It's, it's kind of scary, isn't it? It's terrifying. Yeah. It really is. Ter- yeah. And I mean, it's. I mean, I'm, I'll be the first person that's like, no, I'm not saying you should just cower in your basement and hide. I mean, I'm getting out and I'm walking and enjoying this. But every time I do, I'm like, this is so weird. It's not right. It is just not right. And so, um, yeah, it's. and we're at the point now. I mean, if you go outside right now, the sun is at the point where it wants to melt it now. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look, most of the roads are looking fine at this point. Oh, this yeah. morning was a nightmare. I went to the grocery store, and I I, I basically I I almost got into an accident, but I did not. So, I did not. I was safe. Yeah. Uh, but man, there were so many accidents throughout the entire metro, uh, and and I can tell you exactly why. People have just they're so ill prepared to do that kind of driving that it was they're still trying to drive 70 miles an hour and they're they're going into the ditch and they're going into other cars absolutely that's why i i refuse to go anywhere until literally maybe about one i just let it all play out i mean for those who can't who aren't able to do it i get it but i was able to just let it all kind of start to melt because and it did melt it's melting pretty good yeah. yeah I got the Sorrells. I went not so I have a, a pair of Sorrells, and I and I I don't generally endorse a foot product, but those boots, man, I had a pair of boots I got from L and M bump on the range, and I've had those for twenty five years. They finally died. I got my brand new ones, and I bought crampons for them as well because with the back thing, I cannot fall. That's one that, that thing that okay. can't fall. So I, I'm 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 not going to shy away from it. I'm a Minnesota guy. But I've got all the things on, and I realized I was actually overdressed. For, I was, you got I was, bored pretty quick. Huh? I'm like, all right, I'm not going anywhere here. This is this. Uh, all right, where's my sneakers? I, I'm, I'm okay again. So, nine five two nine four six six two zero five. 
Uh, you, by the way, I got to give you a big round of applause. You've helped out a lot around here with the listener oh, appreciation sure. stuff. This has been fantastic. It's man. been fun, hasn't it? Oh, it was a hoot on Tuesday night. It was right. a blast, man, it was over a Park lot Tavern. Of fun, a lot uh, of good people. A lot of good people, and we had a really good time. Uh, we've got listener appreciation stuff going on throughout the entire month, including. Right now. That's right. You just heard it. Uh, right now, caller number 5, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. I got a pair of tickets to Randy Rainbow for President Tour on Friday, February 23rd at the State Theater. Randy Rainbow for President Tour, a pair of tickets for that, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Caller 5, you're going to win. Let's take a break. Come on back. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Greg, who is our winner and where are they from? Congratulations to Jeff over in Cambridge. Jeff in Cambridge, congratulations. You yourself are going to be going over and enjoying Randy Rainbow for President Tour Friday, February 23rd at the State Theater. Now, uh, we have giveaways. Uh, are you giving away stuff tonight on your show? I'm giving away stuff tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Brandy Rainbow tickets tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. What do you? By the way, what's the topic tonight on your show? Uh, tonight we are playing a replay of a gentleman by the name of Kadrick Olson, who uh, is this really pretty incredible spiritualist and has all these classes. He's giving away a free book, uh, like a book like you can get online. We're going to talk about that and all the other stuff that he does. So make sure you're listening to Greg, Ghost Box Radio, 10 o'clock at night. Of course, Robert Pilot and crew at Native Roots Radio right after us right here as well. And, of course, listen to the show. Now, tomorrow, here's I'm going to give you a preview of what we got right tomorrow, okay? Uh, tomorrow, not only do I have another pair of tickets to the Lewis Black Show, the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the final tour Friday, April 26th at Mystic Lake. I got another pair of tickets for that. But on top of that, I've also got a, a, a pair of tickets to uh, the, the History Theater, and it's your choice of two shows here, a unique assignment. Two men, uh, Henry Gallagher and James Meredith, are thrust into each other's lives in the aftermath of an old Miss riot. Meredith was the first African-American admitted to the University of Mississippi in 1962. Gallagher, a young second lieutenant in the Army who was born and raised in Minnesota, is placed in charge of the, um, uh, of, uh, placed in charge of the security detail. Uh, so they basically, it's a unique uh, you know, play about that. Uh, so that, that sounds fascinating. Also, Blended Harmony, the Kim Lou sisters, that show as well. So you'll have your choice tomorrow. We're going to give away a pair of tickets to the, the, the History Theater. You get to choose which show you want to go to. Ooh, ah, that's tomorrow. We got our winner now. That's tomorrow. And one other quick little thing, if I may. If you have one recently, great. Glad you did. Make sure you hold off. Let some other people win because we got a lot of people trying to call in and get this stuff for Listener Appreciation Month. It is very, very high demand. So if you've won recently, hold off. We're going to be giving away things all month long, including a huge, huge grand prize that you'll definitely want to be involved in. So make sure you're listening for that. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Just really quick, I want to get an update on the Fannie Willis uh, hearing because once again, the whole point of this is to basically 
get Fannie Willis off this case because they know that if Fannie Willis is prosecuting this case against Trump down in Georgia, he's in real big trouble. So the whole goal is to get it thrust into a a separate jurisdiction where a Republican county attorney, the DA here, will. I don't see any crime at all. That sort of thing. And you think that I'm joking. That's exactly what they're wanting to do. That's exactly what they're wanting to do. So the minute they basically determined that Fannie Willis was having a relation, had had a relationship with someone that she worked with, then came all the lies, the, all the allegations, and the judge is basically, it sounds like he's doing a pretty decent job of saying, okay, if you're going to make an allegation, where's the evidence of this? Uh, Fannie Willis was on the stand for a while. She was... Um, uh, she basically, they, they, the last few lawyers kind of ducked out really quick. Um, she had two more lawyers just since the last time we talked about this. They're finally coming to a close. She's left the stand. The lawyers are discussing a few housekeeping details. They're going to resume the proceedings tomorrow at 9 a.m. And they said there are some additional witnesses. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing. Needless to say, it, it's it's they're using the fact that there was a relationship to basically create, well, there's all these things that they did. And the the one thing that would get her, well, there's two things that could get her removed, which wouldn't be too extraordinary. If they, one, they catch her up in a lie about her testimony here, then the, 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 the judge could basically say, well, just out of due diligence, I'm going to remove you. I don't think that that's going to be a problem. The the, the one thing that the, the Trump lawyers are trying to do is argue once again the money issue. That basically that the reason – because you can't disqualify someone for having a relationship. You can't. That's actually established case law. You cannot disqualify someone because of a relationship they have. You have to prove negligence. And the argument they have is that she misused office funds by paying this guy she was dating and then he basically was taking her on trips they basically are insisting that, that is, there's something there, but they don't have any evidence that she directly benefited from that in that case. So they, this is – I'm not saying that they're not going to come on back and they're going to make a just an absolute garbage ruling. But, yeah, I'm, it's, it's, I could see that coming. I could see that coming. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Have we heard from Pete uh, uh, Stubber, Stubby, the congressman from Minnesota 8? Oh, Stubby. You know, the guy that had voted against the infrastructure bill, but then keeps trying to take credit for the infrastructure bill? Yeah, that guy. He's the, the guy that's like, hey, I voted against this, but this is popular, so I did it. Now, when he's not out there, and God, I, can I just tell you, the whole wolves thing we talked about yesterday with Stauber. Oh, God. So he sends people into the middle of the wilderness in northern Minnesota and shocked they saw a wolf. And he's like, can you believe a wolf's around here? No, I, I, I have a hard time believing that when you take a logger and put him out in the middle of the woods where the wolves are, that he saw a wolf. I mean, it's like, it'd be one thing if he's over at like the Cinnabon at the Mall of America. Oh, my God, it's a wolf. No, it's not that. But he's, when he's not out there basically trying to imply, we need to murder every wolf in the state, he's once again taking trying to take credit for bills that he openly worked to try to kill. And I'm only imagining it's a matter of time because for the, for the next one that comes through, the Biden administration 
will send close to $1 billion, B with a B, billion to airports across the country to upgrade terminal facilities. Oh, thank God. I think the Zagnut bars in some of these airports haven't been changed out in 40 years. And the fact that I can say it's a Zagnut bar, I think, is a, is a pretty big key. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg announced this on Thursday. The $970 million in grants will go to 144 airports in 44 states and three territories earmarked for terminal improvements. Buttigieg said the administration officials would uh, fund projects to improve passenger experience and create jobs. Yay! The grants to Minnesota airports include $20 million for new gates at Terminal 2 at MSP. That's where Sun Country flies out of. Where are you? Are you adding more gates? Wow, that airport's getting big, man. For for it to be snuggled in there, right on the north side of four ninety four, that's a huge airport to be right there. Uh, then, yeah, yeah, fine. I mean, I, I hey, I'd rather you put the gates there than have me go haul my caboose all the way down. What is that sea that runs basically back down to the river there? And you don't. Have, why do you not have the walking sidewalks going? Put the moving sidewalks on. I'd, why are you making me walk a mile and a half at the airport? You're cruel. And would it kill you to open up some of those restaurants? Just some of them? Uh, Zagnot bar, you say. Mm, yum. Anyway, that's going to be going on. <laughs> uh, projects in Bemidji, Duluth, and in Two Harbors as well. Once again, you, you can almost hear it in the background. A Pete Starber going, I did that. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. The administration has worked to improve the air travel experience, Buttigieg told reporters on Wednesday. I mean, I got to tell you the truth. Some of these airports, have you ever been into a small airport, uh, an actual airport, not like one where it's just private planes, but a small airport? Some of them, you know, it's they still have those plastic molded chairs in the 70s in them. And, you know, back in the day when they used to run a – back in the day when you could take a flight for like 30 bucks – from the Iron Range down to the cities. You know, that, that was still an option for you, as opposed to now, which it's god-awful expensive to do that. Um, the air, uh, Part of the better travel experience is to invest in our physical infrastructure to improve the airports that represent the beginning and end of every passenger's journey in airports. Boy, he's sure, he's sure doing the visit the airport today kind of thing, isn't he? Uh, the grants will fund a variety of projects ranging from building new terminals to concourses and making bathrooms bigger. Wow. Depends on where you go, but you come back, you need a bigger bathroom. I mean, it, the, the food's delicious. The funds would also help improve baggage systems, security screening areas, expand public transit options, build solar energy infrastructure, and increase accessibility. This funding is real, said uh, Shanita Griffin, the Federal Aviation Administration's Deputy Administrator of Airports. We're changing lives. Buttigieg and Griffin briefed reporters on the grant selections and the condition their comments not be made public till Thursday. The FAA received more than 600 applications for grants, asking for a total of $14 billion. So, you know, they, they, I'm going to guess. I mean, the fact that you had – okay, so wait a second. What's the, what's the number of grants they did apply here? 144, but they had 600. My guess is some of those are much bigger airports. And – Nothing against it. Uh, it, it it's, I'm, I have no problem with the big, you know, the bigger airports. I mean, obviously, MSP needs some help there with the expansion of Terminal Two. But you know, I'm gonna. I, I think the problem we're having is that it's the smaller airports which really have been left behind by a lot of this. And here's the great part, because in you know, 
Minneapolis-St. Paul is a metro area. It's a large city here. But let's talk about Bemidji and Duluth and Two Harbors. You have just basically created, you know, for what, 20 people, 30 people in each one of those towns, a year or two years worth of work? Come on. That's fantastic. And that's why I honestly think you need to put these signs out there saying, courtesy of Joe Biden. I understand. Some people are like, that's not fair. You're taking, you're spiking the football. No, I think this is Donald Trump, when he sent out his first COVID check, demanded his name. was It was a Trump check. You got a check from Trump. It was Trump check. That's Trump bucks. Now he wants those back, by the way, because he can't pay his lawyers or E.G. and Carroll. But I mean, still. Wait, wait till that other ruling comes down, the, the, the finding there, because I'm going to guess that's going to be nine figures as well that he's going to owe. The reason he wants to take over to the RNC is he basically is he's looking at that as an ATM at this point. Uh, the reality is, is I don't if, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. If Trump's going to sit out there and try to take credit for stuff that he didn't really do, well, Joe Biden should take credit for the stuff that he actually did do, which is pass this infrastructure bill and get this stuff done. And. Frankly, I am. I, I think that the administration needs to do more of that because let, let's let's just look at Minnesota Eight. Stauber is running around that district, insisting he did the Blatnick Bridge. He's running around that district, insisting that he helped out with these airports. He, you know, he's you know not necessarily this, but he, the earlier story about helping out some of the smaller airports. He tried to take credit for that. No, don't, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have any problem with the sign being, no, Pete Stauber did not do a damn thing on this. This was courtesy of Governor Walls, Joe Biden, and the Democratic Party. And I don't have any problem with that because, yeah, it's, that's exactly what happened. And if they're going to run around and try to lie about, well, it was really me, no, I, you know, put them in their place. I have zero problem with that. Put them in their place. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, I do have to mention this as well. Uh, okay, apparently they tried this in a small town, and it, it, yeah, no one really, yeah. Children aboard a school bus in Rush City Thursday morning were uninjured when the bus driver, suspected of being impaired by alcohol, drove off the roadway. Yeah. Chisago County Sheriff's Office said the Rush City Public School bus went off the roadway at Game Avenue North of Tiger Trail around 8.13 a.m. 8.13 a.m. None of the 49 children on board were injured, according to the news release. The driver of the school bus, a 59-year-old Harris woman, was arrested on suspicion of DWI. According to the sheriff's office, signs of alcohol impairment were observed at the scene. The children were transported to school by a backup bus. Thank God for that. Uh, okay, to the Harris woman. I, clearly, this is you're you're in trouble. Hopefully, this is the wake up call that you need to deal with what is clearly a serious problem. That it's eight in the freaking morning and you're schnocker to the gills and you drive a school bus full of children and you thought, you know what I need before I go? Jello shots. No, that's no. I hope this was the wake up call you need to realize your life is off the rails and you need to fix it.
but I want to reiterate just in case you didn't hear the story. I got hit by a drunk driver. I have zero tolerance for it and especially zero tolerance for a case like this because this is – you're trying – in my mind, you're trying to live a normal life when you've already kind of given up on it, when you're at this point. And you want to drink, you know, alcohol is a legal product. It's a shame you're drinking yourself to death or whatever the case may be. But that, if you want to sit in your house and swear at the game show network as you get schnockered and you're in, that's in your underwear, that's what your right to do is. But it's this rise this this larger volume of people that are in that seem to just be getting schnockered all the time and i and i talked about this years ago with the rise of you know this kind of oh well it's 10 o'clock it's that means we can have wine 10 a.m what are you talking about or the fact that every beverage outside of milk how has an alcohol version of it and i i don't think this is going to end well and the fact that you have these cases and every individual is, an in, is unique, like I said, I hope this is the wake-up call this person needs. Clearly, they need to not be working for the busing company. But we have got to start acknowledging the fact that this alcohol everywhere mentality is not helping. And when we get to a point where this is where we're at, I can tell you right now, I'd be a very concerned. I'm in Rush City. Heck, if, if this was, if my kids were still riding the school bus to school, I'd be checking their driver every morning from this point forward. I would. Yikes! Yikes! Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. In constant sorrow. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Wasn't expecting ACDC there. <laughs> Thunder! Uh, 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Hey, we got a new entry into the Minnesota 3rd Congressional District race. Yay! Oh, it's a Republican. Well, I mean, hey, I, I'm not rooting either way, but I, gotta, I, just, I saw this, and there's just one thing about this. I'll get to this in a second. One thing about this. It's just precious. It's just precious. Jamie Page has entered the Minnesota 3rd Congressional District race, currently held by Dean Phillips, who's running for president, not seeking re-election. I, I would call it roaming around South Carolina, but still, I mean, running for president, sure. Page, who created a video greeting and company, Rexvid, spoke in broad terms in a news release on his website saying that he values faith, family, community, and country – and they will focus on revitalizing the economy, bolstering public safety, and strengthening our national border. Aha. Because who doesn't love where the national border runs through the Minnesota 3rd Congressional District? Ugh. Oh, that's right. Heck, even the closest national border you got's no problem. So, yeah, this is, yeah, you know, generate. Uh, he described himself as a, you ready? Fiscally conservative and socially conservative individual. In Minnesota 3? Good luck with that. 
<laughs> Why don't you start off with your abortion stance? Ooh, I bet they're going to love that out there in three. He said he'll be championing visionary leadership for a thriving community. Although he's not held elective office, Page's news release says his career in nurturing startups and leading transformative corporate projects equips him with the intimate understanding of the district's nuanced needs and growth potential. He is born in Robsdale, grew up in Bismarck, North Dakota, lives in Plymouth, and he earned a business degree, bachelor's degree from North Dakota State University, the high school after high school, and an MBS. <laughs> Why am I doing that to an NDS? And an MBA from the University of St. Thomas. No. No big name Republican candidates entered the race yet. Uh, but there are two other people running, but I think it tells you kind of the status of this. On the DFL, the, this DFL side, the Democratic nominee, uh, National Committee member Ron Harris, and State Senator Kelly Morrison of Deep Haven are currently in the race. Let's go back to that socially conservative thing. You do realize it's Minnesota 3rd Congressional District, right? Um, one of the big problems you guys have is you 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 fail to understand on the socially conservative that a good portion of the people in the third district, including guilty as charged me, are not exactly looking for you know restrictive abortion rights and you know let's make sure we're no longer a trans refugee state and let's not feed the kids and 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 oh we don't need child tax credits. You do understand that, right? I, you know, I'll let it be a surprise. I'll let it be a surprise. Good luck in there. I don't know if you're going to do too well. But it's not – I mean, it, it has been amazing here. I've been here for a while. And I remember when we first – my wife and I first moved back to Minneapolis. I mean, half the people that represented the West Metro suburbs were Republicans. And now I don't think a Republican has a – unless you are basically running as a Democrat – I don't think you have any real chance at winning anything basically east of of Lake Minnetonka. And heck, I'd make an argument that it's starting to get pretty liberal out in Minnetrista now. Not exactly, I mean, but it's a lot more it's a not lot less red than it used to be. And this is growing as the city gets bigger and bigger. That's what's changing. So you want to go out there and scream about being fis- socially conservative. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Why don't you just talk about how we're going to get rid of all cars and we're just going to go back to horses and buggy? I mean, I think, you know, I think you're going to have about as good a, good a luck with that issue than you have with the other one. So, uh, Native Roots Radio, I am awake. That's up next with Robert Pilot and crew. Have a good one. We are back on a Friday. Until then, see ya. Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. Even though Auto Technical is a small nonprofit, we have helped more families with transportation than any.